Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. As this is bonus content related to episode 300, we aren't going to have the usual show open. There's no loons, there's no music, and there's no Matthew here for this. This episode is dedicated entirely to the memory of Daniel Jordan Levesque and features the conversation I had recently with his mother, Stacy Thur, from her home in Revelstoke, British Columbia. So let's welcome Stacy Thur to Dark Poutine. How long have you been in Revelstoke? How long have you lived there? I actually moved here when I was a child, when my dad was working on the Revelstoke Dam here. Mm-hmm. So I guess I've I moved here when I was ten years old, and I'm a lot older than ten now. What? Well. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I was living in Revelstoke when Daniel was born, but he was actually born in Kamloops. Mm-hmm. I had a little bit of trouble. Um, but he, yeah, he was born in 1991, so just had to have a couple of days in Kamloops and then back here. So this is where he grew up as well. And I grew up here since I was 10 and was a really good place to raise children. So I have lived in other places briefly, went to school in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Daniel's dad went to school in Vancouver there. Um, but for the most part, I've lived predominantly here in Revelstoke. So you started a family really young. You were 21 when Daniel was born. I was, yeah, I was 21. I mean, 21 in age, but quite a bit younger. I think. <laughs> I was not quite ready to be a mom yet, but um, I was so glad that it happened. And it's funny how even despite your age, when you become a parent, you almost always know exactly what to do right away. So uh, yeah, it was a, one of the greatest days when he was born. And and then I just had more kids after that. Yeah. you Right after that, you, about a year and a half, uh, you had Christian. Is that correct? That's correct. He was born in 1993, and they were, I think, 21 months apart. And he was, we were living in Vancouver at the time, so uh, he was actually born down there. And then um, five years later, I had my son, Joel. And he was born in 96. And then my daughter, Lainey, she's the last one. And she was born in 99. When Daniel was uh, three and a half, there was a tragedy in your family. Can you talk very briefly about that? Yes, of course. In 1995, when Daniel was three and a half, uh, his brother, Christian, went to sleep one night and didn't wake up the next morning. And I found him in his crib and he was gone. So, yeah, we buried his little brother when he was three and a half years old. And that was the very first tragedy of my life, for sure. And his. And how did Daniel react to that uh, when his little brother was passed away? Was he old enough to know what was going on? I don't really think he was. However, he was uh, right beside me when I found him Mm. in the crib. And gratefully, actually, my my mother and my grandmother had arrived the night before and... um, when I found the baby, he, my grandmother whisked him away and like kind of locked him in the room so he didn't see any of the emergency people come or whatever, or any of the, the horribleness of it. But, you know, suddenly he went from having a little brother to being an only child again. And he was definitely my reason for living. Mm-hmm. Uh, he definitely was. He got me through a lot of really hard times. But he just, I think he always had a sensitive heart. And then he had an even more sensitive heart for sure. Yeah, uh, he was just, uh, it was missing in his life for sure. And he knew that. 
So what kind of kid was Daniel? Was was he a good kid? Was he, you know, a mischievous? What kind of what kind of <laughs> dude was he? When he was little, he was quite mischievous actually. <laughs> he was a little stinker. Um way too smart for his own age, um uh, but very musical right from the time he was tiny mm-hmm. and uh loved singing and loved music and very artistic, maybe not so much drawing but very um just like poetry and you know even when he was really little and um, he was a funny really really funny little guy and as he grew up he was just super sensitive super musical um super popular you know loved all his friends and and loved girls and wanted to be a musician when he grew up and straight A's in school yeah he was wow he was a really, really great kid, but he really gave me a run for my money. <laughs> he sure did. Is there a time you can recall where you were like really frustrated with him? What was maybe one of the things oh. that made you the angriest? Oh, I had lots of frustrating times with him, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> some of which I look back on now and I kind of, well, I don't kind of, I do regret because I think mm-hmm. I didn't um, understand what it was like to be a teenager and anymore even though it hadn't been that long since I was a teenager or didn't feel like it but he loved to be out with his friends all the time and uh, he would like to stay out later than I liked and things like that so we did have we definitely had our trials and tribulations um, when he was probably you know 14 to 16 he was uh, wanting to do more than I was comfortable with like being going out and hanging out with his friends and staying out really late and he was probably one of the only friends of his that had a curfew a lot of his friends nearly all of his friends oddly enough were not firstborn children mm. and so there they had older siblings who had you know paved the way for them and so of course he was my oldest and i was trying to you know keep a handle on him and i would give him uh, a curfew and he would say mom please let me stay everybody else nobody else has curfews except me and yeah. you know and i would be so it would cause a lot of fights with us because I really wanted to try to uh, rein him in even though I I mean he wasn't being awfully terrible however he he did get himself into yeah well that happens sometimes and Uh, yeah I I know I know what it's like being the oldest sibling because I got I got I had I was clamped down on and then my sister had all this freedom it's like what the heck is that about yeah that's exactly how it worked with us having said that I know that if you ask my other two children they would be like they never gave me any trouble and they were like well we saw what Daniel did and we (laughs) we made sure we didn't give you the same kind of trouble because we knew it wouldn't work or whatever so yeah they had a lot more freedom but uh, uh they were different kids too so he was he was a handful absolutely in the blog that you wrote about daniel after he was gone you talked a lot about how open your relationship was with him but he he yeah. did keep some secrets from you right oh he did yeah i didn't we were really really close um I was a single mom for a half of his life, I guess. And so I think sometimes when you're a single parent, you, in order to keep control, you, you really do have a more open relationship or you can, at least we did for sure. And, uh, right up until he died, actually, we talked almost every day. Well, every day, minus a few here and there Mm -hmm. about it. And, uh, he did tell me a lot more than a lot of kids tell their parents I think but I know 
well, after the fact, after he passed away, there were some things that I definitely didn't know about. But right. Um, but for the most part, we were, yeah, we were really close. So he went to Norway the year before. He did. He died. Yeah. Yeah. He met a lovely girl here in Revelstoke, actually. She was here with one of her girlfriends. She was from Norway and they met at a grocery store. They were both working there. I think she was working there. Actually, you know what? I'm not sure about that, but I know that's where they met and they started to date and they fell in love and, and she had to go back to Norway. So he, we sent him off. We, it was part of, he saved up all his money and we, his dad and I gave him as much as we could so that he could get out there. And yeah, he was, he had a Christmas away from us. That was his first Christmas away from us actually, because he was out there with, with her and, uh, yeah, we loved her too. She was a lovely, lovely girl, and he was madly in love. Have you been in contact with her since? Oh, absolutely, yes, yeah, for sure. And her mom and her sister, and um, she's you know was young at the time too, of course, and so she's gone on with her life, and she has a couple of little kids, and of course, we don't speak as much as we sure. did once, but uh, she's. Um, I know that my daughter had a a cute little catch up conversation with her not very long ago maybe this fall um so the doors are still open we follow each other on social media and everything and but it was really really hard for her this whole situation and the and daniel's death and actually her and her parents came from norway to his funeral and everything mm-hmm. i say norway although they were actually when daniel was killed he they were in spain at the time on a holiday on a summer holiday and they actually you know concluded that uh early um finished their holiday so that they could come to canada to go to his funeral so daniel and she had broken up while he was in victoria they had yeah she uh uh, he was trying really hard to get over her um i think i mean he was living in canada and she was living in norway so i think it was hard for her to imagine um how they could make it work and he was pretty brokenhearted for a little while but he was really hoping that one day it would they would get back together, and um, I think that was his hope. Mm-hmm. And when she found out, of course, what had happened, they hadn't broken up too long before he was uh, killed. Like when he first went to Victoria, he was going there to make a life for them. That was yeah. part of his motivation and wanting to find a place so that she could come and they could live there. Um, yeah, so it wasn't very long before he died that that they had broken up and he was quite brokenhearted about it. And then of course she felt terrible. And then when he died, she just took it very hard, of course. So Daniel moved to Victoria in early June, 2011, and he was struggling finding work. And then he found work at the Seven Eleven, and he was texting you a lot and talking to you a lot about his boss. Yeah, he was. He actually went to Victoria with the promise of a job that ended up not working out. And he was starting to get a little worried because he was running out of money. And so when he did hire on at 7-Eleven, I remember him telling me, well, don't tell anybody that it's actually 7-Eleven. He said, I, I, I just want to start here and I want to move up quicker. Mm-hmm. And really soon, he was actually walking on his way to the, you know, uh, Workplace BC or Work BC or whatever it's called. Mm-hmm to look for a job and he saw that we are hiring sign in the window. And so he went in and the, his boss hired him on the spot and they fell fast friends. Literally, I would think within two days, he was texting me all these things about how lucky he felt that he'd met someone 
so great and how he um, had become best friends with his his boss eventually you know but right away he was just taken with him and just, just mm-hmm. in awe of how great this guy was and how much this guy you know was really um putting some effort into daniel and wanting to help him out and advance him and things so yeah i heard a lot about this guy a lot like mm-hmm. a lot <laughs> yeah so you know you're you're obviously you want the best for your son and and what were you thinking when he was saying you know this guy was so great and all that kind of stuff. Did it seem like too good to be true at all? Or, or did anything sort of nag at you? A little bit, but not, Mm -hmm. you know, a little bit. I think I kind of, I did. I remember definitely, I believe it's in my uh, text transcripts. I did say, what (laughs) is, what's going on? Like, how come he's being so nice to you? And he just said, mom, he just, thinks I'm really great and he sees all my potential and you know he just you know really was you know looking back now grooming him and right I accepted it though because Daniel was so excited and I I actually texted Daniel I said thank him for me tell your boss thank you because I felt like Daniel was being mentored by somebody who um, really cared about him and um, wanted the best for him like I did and i really loved that Daniel was in Victoria. I I was part of his motivation. I was really kind of pushing him to go spread his wings because he really wanted to do more with his life and get out of Revelstoke. And so knowing that he had found somebody who genuinely cared about him or so it seemed, I was very mm. happy about that. So even though I felt, I wondered what the catch was, I put that out of my mind quite quickly, actually quicker than I wish now, of course, but um, it felt really sincere. I could see the wheels turning in some of your mm. texts uh, where yeah. the the one that really stood out to me is when you ask, is this guy married? Yeah. You know, it was yeah. like, hmm, I, I kind of got the feeling that you were a little suspicious with this person's motives at that point. Yeah, I was a little bit. Yeah. And I, I wondered how they could be spending all this time together mm-hmm. um and all the things that he was doing and it be okay with his partner if he had one and um i don't know when i when i did send i remember sending that message of course i don't remember if he was had said he was already broken up but there was somebody in his life and um but they had just broken up i think and yeah and then it kind of all made sense again because i thought well if he's newly broken up too then you know, every his life is this fellow that I hadn't met's life was has was changing drastically like Daniel's was and I thought, well, maybe they're commiserating together exactly. but also trying to get over things, you know. And mm-hmm. I it made sense to me in went the way down and I mean Daniel fully believed it, of course. Sure. And was very convincing with me. And you know, I look back now too and think how, you know, I felt because maybe because he was my oldest, I felt like Daniel was uh, really um, a good judge of character because I think he was here in Revelstoke but here in Revelstoke it's such a small town and we all know each other I don't I don't think that he was truly looking back prepared mm. to meet people like he did right because that would never have happened here you know and so yeah. he, re- he really believed everything that he heard uh, or at least when I was talking to him about it he did yeah I did hear afterwards that right before the end he was starting to wonder about Mm -hmm. things he was starting to have questions and uh 
But that took right till, you know, maybe in just a couple of days before that, right up until the nearly the end, he, he really did believe everything he was told. You last saw Daniel on July 31st. And right. the last text conversation you had with him was on the afternoon of August 3rd. Well, on the 31st, he came across on the ferry and my grandmother and my aunt and uncle live in Langley. And I was down from Revelstoke visiting them and wanted to see Daniel because I hadn't seen him since he'd left. But I knew that my grandmother's elderly and mm-hmm. didn't think it was going to be something that we could do to actually go to Victoria to see him. So I said, you know, can you come here to see us? And him and my grandmother were very, very close. And he said, absolutely. So he got the days off and he just hopped on the ferry and came across and we picked him up at the Swasson terminal and spent the afternoon with him and then we had a lovely dinner and then I drove him back to the ferry where he went back so we just saw him for that day and then on August 3rd I did speak to him wishing him luck because he was going for a job interview and talked to him right up until well I think it, the last time I talked to him was about 2 30 in the afternoon right. or 2 40 and uh, it wasn't long after that that everything changed what was going on for you when you heard like how did you hear that your son was gone. How did that happen? Well, it's very strange. Uh, a very big coincidence too. My son Joel and I, Lainey was actually down at my granny's. We had crossed paths. Like she took a trip down to Vet Langley at the day that I left Langley, and she was going to be spending some time there. And so it was just Joel and I at home. And uh, we went to the movie that night on August 2nd, and we saw a movie called Horrible Bosses, mm-hmm. which ends up being very ironic considering yeah. what we found. Oh, no, sorry. That would have been on the 3rd. That was on August 3rd. Um, and we went to that movie, and then we went home. And it was really, really, really hot that August. And um, I guess, you know, things had played out in Victoria while we were at the movie right. unbeknownst to us and because daniel's id had his victoria address they were and he had a different last name than i did they really weren't sure who to contact mm. and so it took them quite a while to actually find my number and of course i only had a cell phone because that was the that was what had changed in life by 2011 when they did finally uh find a number for me they tried or where my address was I don't know that they ever found my number I don't know why I'm saying that they found out where I lived they sent some RCMP officers at one o'clock in the morning to come to advise me of Daniel's death and they knocked on the door but Joel and I slept through it we didn't hear anything oh wow I think because we had phones were sorry fans running in our bedrooms Mm -hmm. because it was so hot and then they came again at 3 a.m and knocked on the door again and we didn't hear them again and then they came again at eight o'clock in the morning on so this is now august 4th of course and that time joel heard them heard the knock at the door and opened the door and it was uh, the police standing there asking to speak to me and that was when he called me Mm. and as soon as joel woke like i woke up to joel saying mom the police are here my immediately my i knew i i knew i like rat i said daniel and I ran down the hallway to them. And then, of course, they gave me the horrible news. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> and poor Joel was right there standing beside me. He was 15 at the time. So mm-hmm. 
was very devastating for him, obviously, but to have to see all that play out because I just collapsed and yeah, yeah, it was awful. You wrote on your blog that you were wailing, yeah, you know, and your neighbors came to check on you. They were concerned, yes. yeah, yeah, they were. My next door neighbor um, uh, was also a good friend of mine, is a good friend of mine, and she heard that scream when they told me and she was in her house with the doors closed and everything. And she heard it and just came running out um, to my house straight away. Also the fellow that lived across the street, when he drove by uh, because he was going to park on the other side of the street, he drove by and saw the RCMP there and then just kind of did like a U-turn to park on the opposite side of the street. And as he pulled around, he heard it too Mm -hmm. and saw me like drop to the floor. So Mm -hmm. I don't really remember that part. However, you know, everybody tells me that it was a sound that only mothers ever make. And Joel says that too. And my neighbor said it too. She said she's never heard anything like that before. When a mother loses a child, it's a noise we make that's so right from the core of our soul. So how old was Joel at the time? He was 15. Oh, wow. And Lainey had just turned 12. He turned 15 at the beginning of July and... Uh, Lainey turned 12 at the end of July. So mm. literally she was only a few days after 12. So. Wow. Yeah. And they were all very close. And, you know, Joel and Daniel are five years apart. And Daniel and Lainey were eight years apart, but they were all very, very close. And as hard as this can be to imagine, they never one time ever had a fight. Daniel didn't fight with his brother and sister ever. And Joel and Lainey don't fight either. They just all got along so well. And uh, even though there was such an age difference, you know, they were still extremely close. So it was just heartbreaking for Joel to see this happen with me. And then, of course, we had to tell Lainey, who was in Langley, and that was a terrible memory for her as well. The community really stepped up for you guys, it looks like, um, as far as, you know, um, I read that there were hundreds who came to a candlelight memorial at Grizzly Plaza. Yeah, that's the little plaza right downtown Revelstoke. And uh, one of Daniel's friends organized like a candlelight vigil. And there was uh, they over 300 people there. Mm-hmm. Um, just sort of sending, you know, prayers and intentions and uh, a moment to get together because it was such a tragedy. Uh, that was on the Friday, so he um, he he died on the Wednesday. This was on the Friday, and I think if I'm not no, I I know this for sure. Actually, he was his body was on its way back to Revelstoke on that Friday. Actually, mm. so not that anybody else knew that, but I knew that, and I remember us all being together, all in the in the small little plaza, um, and thinking that you know, he, his body could be coming through any time now. And if, you know, all these people who loved him, that he, I I think there was people that didn't even know him, but, you know, Daniel worked in both of the grocery stores Mm -hmm. as he was, you know, as a teen and and beyond. So, and Revelstoke's, you know, 8,500 people, generally Mm -hmm. speaking, and everybody just knew him. You know, I had so many letters afterwards from, customers at the grocery stores that would say oh i didn't i know i don't know you but i remember daniel from working at the grocery store and he used to carry my groceries for me to my car and he would always chat me up and you you know they all had so many nice things to say about him and those are the kind of people that came to this little vigil with people that Mm -hmm. just remembered him and felt so terrible for our family 
the sheer volume of notes and letters and photos that people shared with you afterward mm-hmm. that that you've passed you you shared with me as well it just blew me away and i told you before we started this i i was reading some of these uh sentiments that people were were giving you and and i i actually had a good good little cry uh, yeah. you know i've never felt this close to any of the any of the stories that i've covered Mm-hmm. then I got to feel to yours because of the things that you shared with me. And I'm yeah. I'm so grateful that you did that because it, it really brought home to me, and I hope in the story that I tell in the episode, what a human being Daniel was. Yeah, yeah, he was so wonderful. He was so wonderful. And actually of the thing, of the notes that I was able to share with you and the notes that I've kept and things like that, uh, we buried most of them with him. Mm. We uh, had um, uh, we had a viewing before his funeral, but the night before his funeral, and so many people brought letters, pictures, tokens of love, things, and put them in his casket. And we collected all of them and made sure that we buried them with him, with all, all of the, this love. And we read every one of them and cried and cried and just I was so grateful too Mike I'm so glad that you um, I was able to share who Daniel was with you and now sharing it again but I knew this about Daniel I feel so grateful about that I wasn't surprised to read all the things that people Mm -hmm. had said and how wonderful he was he was such a good friend he was um, a leader and confidant to so many that I've never I just I just feel so sorry for everybody who lost him because he's he's living on in their memories and he meant us so much to so many people. And I only hope that at the end of my time that people feel the same way because I don't know that everybody gets that. I don't know if everybody yeah. is thought of the way Daniel was. And I know everybody, you know, when someone passes away, they say all these nice things, but like these were heartfelt sentiments, like you said, that just were from people's deepest hearts mm-hmm. of how wonderful he was to them. So you you started blogging uh, pretty much right away after Daniel was killed. Um, you started blogging on Blogspot. It's it's not there now, so people can't rush out to to read it. But um, was that? cathartic for you to do did you find that was helpful to write absolutely and that's entirely why i started it and it was actually at daniel's dad his dad actually suggested it to me and thought that that might be what we should do or what i should do because i i like to write and i had so much to say (laughs) and i still do but i wanted daniel's story told and that was the most important part to me and i remember when I went back to work after being off for quite some time after his death and I went back to work and my engineer, I was a conductor at the time. And my engineer said to me, what do you want out of all of this? Like, not in a mean way. Like we were just talking about sure. it. And I said, you know, he said like, do you want revenge? Like, or do you want like, what mm. do you want? And I said, you know, I, all I want is accountability yeah. and I want Daniel's story to be told so that this doesn't happen to someone else. And um, I focused on that. I was glad that that fellow had asked me that because I focused that, made that my focus rather than 
letting the anger eat me up. And writing really helped me do that. And that's still kind of your focus, really. It is. It is, too. It still is. And I want it to be. And I, I want his story to be told because it's crazy. <laughs> so we'll take a bit of a break right here. Okay. And when we come back, we're going to talk a bit about Daniel's killer, Joshua Tyler Brito. Okay. And we're going to talk about some of the things that he's allegedly been up to since his release from prison after serving a very brief amount of time for killing Daniel. Okay. We're back uh, in the second half here, and we want to talk about this person who you knew as Joshua Tyler Brito. Yes. Is that it? And this is really interesting because we're not, I'm not even sure if that is his real name. Is that? That is his real name. Is that? Yeah, that is. That's his real yeah, name. And that, but that's not the name Daniel knew. He, he, okay. he did not know, he did not tell Daniel his real name. So who was he to Daniel? What was his name to Daniel? It was Joshua Buxton. Joshua Buxton. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's fascinating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he, yeah. even... You know, he was working with him at 7-Eleven and going by Joshua Buxton at 7-Eleven as well? Well, to Daniel anyways. I mean, Uh, I guess everybody called him Josh, so they didn't, it never mattered what his last name was. Right. But when he introduced himself to, to, or I shouldn't say when he introduced himself, but he told Daniel at some stage that his last name was Buxton. Because that's what Daniel told me his last name was. Okay. That was what Daniel believed, yeah. And he, this guy had had a, a bit of a, a strange history, too. Like, I, I saw a uh, CTV news story about him, and he was calling himself Josh Baba at that time. Yeah. So, Baba is actually his, his, like his birth name is Brito. That's his legal name. But his mother and father had divorced, mm. and... Wait, or, or not are not together his birth mother and father and his mother remarried and uh her husband's last name is baba okay so he has a brother whose last name is baba and i believe his who's his half brother and then i he has a sister and a brother who are burritos but i believe that the other brother the one that's actually a burrito he also goes by baba yeah but as far as i know his sister is a goes by burrito and that's his legal name so, so he, but he doesn't. He doesn't go by that now either. So. Right. So he right. <laughs> we'll get into more of his aliases later <laughs> That's on right. because there are yeah, many. Yeah. Um, there are many. It's yeah. crazy. Um. So he had he had Daniel snowed. He told Daniel, you know, you're the you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. He love bombed the guy yeah. and 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 yep, just absolutely. gaslit him like nobody's business. Yeah, before we even knew what gaslighting was, yeah. he did that. Yeah, it, that's that's what yeah, he was he doing. Did. He was he was mm-hmm. coercively controlling that young man like nobody's business, trying to mm-hmm. to get into Daniel's head, befriending him, being the you know kind, give him all this stuff, and you know, yeah, throwing money, yeah, at him, yeah, like paying for everything, mm-hmm. yeah. and then it and, and then it starts. He's he's saying, well, you can get these old people thought you were great. At Seven Eleven, and we're going to give you a six dollar raise when you've yeah. only been here for a little while. When I found out that that story wasn't true, but Daniel went to his grave thinking that it was. Mm. It just that one's one of the hardest stories of them all. But I remember Daniel calling me and telling me, 
mom, you're not going to believe this. Um, I, I just got news that I'm getting a $6 raise because I, there was a, a couple that came in here and I was really nice to them and they were so impressed with me and so grateful that they wrote a letter to the head offices of 7-Eleven and told them how, how helpful I was and how kind I was. And I just, I'm so thankful. Like he was just such a thankful kid, you know, growing up um, in, in a small town and with a, from a single mom, I didn't have a lot of money. And so he didn't have all these like wonderful things that a lot of his friends had. Mm. So he was just a very simple man. And he was just over the moon that someone had gone out of their way to write a letter. Mm. Well, I would to be the too. Offices. Yeah. And I, he, he, I told everybody the story. I told my mom, I told my granny, I told all my friends. I was, I was so proud because I was like, that's our Daniel because he's like over and above, like he's just such a good kid and, you know, and somebody's finally recognizing it. And yeah, so, but we did find out later, of course, in the court process that that story was never true and that that raise was never coming. Yeah. And you shared a bank account with Daniel too, that you had, or an account you had access to and you just that yeah. Even up to his last check, that didn't show up. That raise. That's right. It yeah. it never did. Yeah. It yeah. didn't ever show up. So it wasn't it wasn't true. But of course, his boss, uh, Josh Buxton or Brito or whatever, mm-hmm. had gone out of his way to tell him that story to garner Daniel's trust and um, loyalty and things that you know he was going to work hard to make sure Daniel had everything he deserved and um, and Daniel believed it. Like he. He remembered the people. Daniel told me, I remember the people. Yeah. So I don't know how that exactly worked, but he... Well, maybe Josh saw, so saw Daniel being nice to people and thought... And yeah. Took note and thought, I can use this later. That, and then did do... Yeah, but I'm sure that's how it was. You're right. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. there, there were a lot of other things, too. I mean, he was he was telling Daniel that he could get him a job at his parents law firm uh, it, uh, apparently they had two law firms in calgary and one in uh in victoria that's right none of those things were real no he told him that his parents were high-powered lawyers mm-hmm. and but actually his dad had just recently passed away is what he had told daniel mm-hmm. his dad had died of a terrible cancer and so it was only his mother left and she wanted they had a a position opening at the law firm in Victoria because the legal secretary uh, person who was employed there at the time was going on a maternity leave. And so they wanted to fill the position and, and Josh thought that Daniel would be perfect for that position. So he was talking to his mom, trying to um, engage his mom into hiring this boy from Revelstoke to be a legal secretary. They would train him, um, as he grew rather than having to send him off to school. And Daniel was just so excited. So it was all hogwash though. There was- it was all hogwash. Yeah. Well, first of all, his dad is not dead. His mother is definitely not a lawyer and mm-hmm. uh, neither is his father for that. Matter. Yeah. But he went so far as to, uh, it came out in court that he would, he would send Daniel a text message about Daniel but make it like as if it was to his mom. So mm-hmm. he would send he would send a text message to Daniel that said, "Hi, mom. I, I just want to tell you a little bit more about Daniel. Like he's so great. He's super smart with numbers. He's doing really blah 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 blah." And then Daniel would read it, and then Josh would say, "Oh, sorry, I meant to send that one to my mom." And but of oh. course, he wasn't sending it to his mom. His mom 
you know, she lives in Okotoks and she's not a lawyer and doesn't have a law firm. And it was all just a, an act. It was all, it was it's, all a lie. It's so slimy. The, the so whole, slimy. the whole thing is so mm. slimy. Yeah. And he, and he like left, uh, there was so much detail to it all. He left nothing out. And every time, and I guess I didn't see the messages, but this is what it came out in court. But, um, the Daniel got several of those messages. And so every time Daniel would read those messages, he would say, well, look, look how hard Josh is working to get me this job. Mm -hmm. Look at all these nice things that Josh is saying about me. And, um, yeah, so, but it was all a lie. There was no one to send that message to. No. They were just going, they were just going to Daniel disguised as messages to his Right, mother. right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So after Brito is arrested, um, he was charged initially with second degree murder and then in he was released uh, for lack of evidence to prosecute the case. They weren't sure that they could you know, prosecute the case properly. And it wasn't until the following December, December 2012, right. where he was rearrested in Okotoks at his mother's house. I remember the day, like, a, I remember it like as if it was yesterday and it was the 21st of December, I believe. I guess I don't remember that day exactly, but I got a, I had just got off a train and there was a message from the lead investigator and he said, please call me right away. And I did. Because, of course, I can't have my phone on at work when I'm on a train. And mm -hmm. so I called him and he said, I'm just boarding a plane. We're going to arrest him and we're charging him with first-degree murder. What are you thinking in that year and a half uh, between, you know, his arrest, then a re or like, it, what? Yeah, it was crazy. It was uh, devastating at first. It was so devastating, clearly, like his release, because we knew what he had done. Mm -hmm. um, and... I had a very good relationship with the lead investigator and he would always say to me, and it made so much sense. He said, what we know happened and what we can prove are two different things. Mm -hmm. And they didn't want to go to court and lose. They needed to make sure that they had all the things so that there would be a successful conviction. And um, that first December, they just didn't have that. And so they didn't want to keep him in jail when they couldn't do more about it. So um, they just worked tirelessly the rest of that next year. And um, people wrote letters to mm -hmm. encourage the, um, the police to not let this go and look with fresh eyes. And we just, we had prayer circles and things like that, just sending, you know, good intentions to the right sources so that they would, you know, really dig deep and find things. And they did. It was almost another full year that Brito is, is in jail again. Um, yeah, that's correct. And they charged him additionally with attempted sexual assault of Daniel and unlawful confinement. So there were two more charges. Yeah, it wasn't attempted sexual assault. It was actually sexual assault. So they charged him with first degree murder, sexual assault, and unlawful confinement. Oh. But having said that, um, it was... There was no actual sexual dis sexual assault, but when there's a murder and unlawful confinement and an attempted sexual assault, which is what it was, mm -hmm. they it upgrades the charge. So gotcha. he was not sexually assaulted, but because he was unlawfully confined and murdered, that's how the sexual assault came up there too. So it's actually that was the motive for the for the confinement and the ultimate absolutely killing. 
Absolutely. That's 100% what it was about. Yes. So in January 2014, there was a preliminary inquiry uh, before a provincial court judge, and uh, Brito was ordered to stand trial on those three charges. And then. That's correct. And in. The wheels of Canadian justice turn so slowly. I can't Mm imagine, like, I can't imagine being a family member wanting to see justice for your child uh, and having to wait year after year after year while, you know, the, you know, there's legal filings and this and that and all these crazy delays. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I was warned at the very beginning before the, even the preliminary trial that the, uh, uh, lawyer that was representing the accused was really good at that. Mm. Lots of different uh, filings that, that his history was like that. And through all of this, I I came to not call it a Canadian justice system. I call it a legal system. <laughs> because sure. I don't know that there's a lot of justice and uh, right. the Crown worked tirelessly. I have, have the utmost respect for both the Crown and the assistant that took over the case and, and did it. Uh, they worked night and day. This was a huge project for them, and um, it just was one stall after another install. And, and each and every time, of course, Josh was in prison. He stayed in remand this whole time, waiting mm-hmm. for trial. He had nowhere to go, right. but he stayed there, which was ultimately, you know, for every day you spend in jail, you get a credit for an extra day and a half. So, yep, you know, he was he was in there waiting and tallying up his days so that when it was a conviction, he would not have to spend as much time in there. So he, he went on trial on January 28, 2015, uh, mm-hmm. before a judge and jury, and the trial went on until March 2nd, 2015, but there was a mistrial that day because the Crown yeah. inadvertently disclosed, uh, was late disclosing forensic computer evidence do you know what that was was that something that you're allowed to talk about or uh what what happened (laughs) i don't know if i'm allowed to talk about it but i was present in the court at the time Mm -hmm. and so i know what it was um uh i know that in the preliminary trial it was discussed i wasn't allowed to be in the preliminary trial um but my uh steven or daniel's father steven and his wife were in there, um, my cousin, my best friends, everybody was in there taking notes. And they actually presented the commu- computer evidence at that stage. Um, but then when it came time for the trial, inadvertently, like you said, the Crown had, or the RCMP, I believe, I shouldn't say that because I'm not sure, but the police did another sweep of his computer and found more things on it that were you know, valuable to us and not to him. But that was what they, you know, disclosed too late. And that was what caused the mistrial. But the, um, and I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, Mike, so. But the evidence that was on the computer was what Josh was looking at before Daniel got there. Um, the Google searches that da- that he had done prior to Daniel's arrival. And Okay. And we don't, we don't have to get into the content of those because that hasn't been released to the public. Sure. Okay. But they were bad. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) But those were the things that they had discovered. um, More and more of those things. Mm. In addition to what they had actually 
talked about at the preliminary trial because they were able to actually, they talked about it at the preliminary trial, what these searches were, etc. But we never even got that far in the actual trial. So we knew what the searches were about and what the results were, but they hadn't even brought that to the jury's attention yet because the mistrial happened before we could disclose or the Crown could disclose what was found. Wow. So this all goes on into 2017. Mm-hmm. And they just kept having having a court date, and then it was being rescheduled, and then another court date, and then it was rescheduled all through those next two years, yeah. Right. And mm-hmm. it, so in May of 2017, the Crown decides to file a new indictment charging Josh with manslaughter in Daniel's death. Mm-hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Did they make you aware that they were going to do that before that happened? Yes, they did. Actually, they called me and, you know, we had a really good meeting about their reasoning behind it, etc. There had been quite a few other voir dires and Mm. other types of meetings with the judge in that time from 2015 to 2017 that helped make their decision that if they could get a confession or an admission of guilt, mission of responsibility, that they would lessen the charge. And so they were very good at explaining that to me. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, I was 100% aware. And they they did ask me how I felt about it and what I wanted. Um, I know that, well, they told me that Depend, didn't it did matter what I felt, right? Um, and I spoke for the family, of course. Um, mm-hmm. But it did; they weren't necessarily going to adhere to my wishes had they been different than theirs. But I was, I was supportive of what their new indictment was going to be. Okay, so yeah. Um, then, Josh, was it a surprise when Josh pled guilty to manslaughter? Yes, but that was, of course, the the new indictment was because he was willing to do mm-hmm. that. Yeah. So they wouldn't have uh, offered that lower charge if right. he wasn't willing to do that. Um, I was surprised, and to be honest, I was pissed mm. a little bit because all these years for this these six long, grueling years where I hardly slept and it's all I could was all I could think of. He kept denying and denying and denying his role and. And saying that Daniel was the aggressor and Daniel right. was the one who did this, and then all of a sudden, out of the no- out of nowhere, he decided that yeah, he was going to admit to what he had really done. Mm. And so I was I was surprised though, in a way, because I I don't know if you wanted me to talk about the Jordan decision or not, but do you know about that part? Mike? No, I don't think or, I do. Okay, so the year before, I believe. I can't be positive, but I believe it was in 2016. There was a court case in Alberta where um, a, a fellow by the last name of Jordan, who was already incarcerated, was charged with a some kind of a major charge and was not um, uh, justice was not swift in his case. Like he was, right. the, he was the person charged. Mm-hmm. It wasn't uh, swift, or you know, his it was wasting his time. So against habeas corpus, kind of thing. That's his right. right yeah, exactly. A, yeah. His, to a speedy trial. That's right. So yeah. they actually, his lawyer, this guy in Alberta, his lawyer challenged um, the 
Supreme Court of Canada saying, you know, this guy has the right to a speedy trial. He isn't getting it. We want the charges dropped. And there was this major decision, just to put it in layman's terms, a major decision by the Supreme Court of Canada that there had to be a cap mm-hmm. on how long it would take from charge to conviction. Right. And so once that, the and they call it the Jordan decision, and once that Jordan decision was made, of course, Josh's lawyer applied for the same thing. Course. He applied and actually was heard. They actually, um, in 2017, they went to in front of a judge and pled how, you know, the right to a speedy trial was not happening. This was against Josh's human rights, etc. Even though, let's keep in mind that Josh's, Josh, Josh's lawyer was the reason that it was not a speedy trial. It was, mm-hmm. we tried, right? right yeah. But um the crown when they spoke to me about it they said you know we think he's gonna win like there's the cap is now yeah 60 60 months so josh's incarceration since charged to when we still didn't even have a trial date was in what what already had exceeded that 60 months Mm -hmm. so even though the judge had not ruled on that jordan decision in the sense of josh's charges etc um, the crown was convinced and had already been previously preparing me that they thought he was going to be released and have nothing on his record. Um, because they said, you know, I, we don't know how they can't release him because, you know, and they've now already gone to a lawyer or gone to in front of a judge and pled the human rights violation. Mm -hmm. So then before the judge made the decision about that Jordan plight, this is when um, he decided that he wanted to, con- or you know, plead guilty, and they were going to drop the charges down. So when the crown explained it to me, they said, you know, we can either wait and and not do this, and he might get out and have nothing because mm. of the he may uh, win that argument, or we get to hear him say what really happened. Right. So despite the lesser charge, right? And I said earlier in this conversation that what I really wanted was accountability and I wanted Daniel's story told Hmm. and this got us that okay so yeah after he pled guilty he's sentenced to nine years two months and 19 days uh however um with time served the crown and uh his counsel uh determined that it should be an additional two years less a day in prison followed by three years of probation However, right. he gets out uh, less than a year later? 16 months, I think. Okay. So, yeah. yeah. 16 months it was when he was released. And they didn't tell us. Uh, they didn't tell us that he was released. So. so they didn't tell you for a month that he'd been released. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. And it was actually my son said to me, I feel like he's out. And I said, no, he's not. His sentence isn't done yet. And he's like, mom. I just think he is. And then I started making calls and found out that, yeah, Joel was right. He was out. And I was really upset with that because it did, it said even in the, um, in the manslaughter charge and the admission of guilt, et cetera, that we would be informed Mm -hmm. and we weren't. So none of us were. So he was out on good behavior in, I believe it was 16 months, 16 or 17. So it, it had been at least, yeah, it had been almost almost two months by the time we found out that he was out. So. Wow. Yeah. So now now he's out. 
you know, has yeah, has the, has the leopard changed his spots? Oh, I wish I could say that he has, but he yeah. has not. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he has not. So he's, he's still hurting people. He's still hurting people allegedly. Mm-hmm. Hurting allegedly, people. That's yeah. Right. So there's there's been no charges against him that we're aware of since no. that time. That's correct. Um, he, he there's been some really elaborate stuff going on and mm-hmm. and how did how did you become aware of it first first off first off like will you tell me a little bit about the the scam that he, he allegedly pulled mm-hmm. has been trying to pull absolutely i uh many times throughout this whole process since 2011 i've been contacted by a lot of people actually, even before trial or when Daniel first died about people who knew Josh and, and their thoughts on what he was like as a, as a teenager and what he was like in high school and things that he'd done. And there were news articles about it and everything. And of course that never changed and it's still happening to this day, but I was contacted by someone who was allegedly involved with him. It was a girl and she he gave her a phony name and she didn't know his name for a really long time but she reached out to me and just said i i have a big story but i want to just tell you that because of this big story i looked you up i listened to podcasts i've read all the news articles and i know what he did to you mm-hmm. and i just want you to know that i'm sorry and i was fooled too so that was you know, we connected in that way and talked a lot about some of the lies that he had allegedly told her. Um, and then not long after that, he she was contacted by a fellow in the States, actually, who had allegedly been scammed by uh, Josh as well. And we ended up being in touch. So she facilitated um, a meeting over the phone, of course, with uh, this fellow in the States who had a big story to tell. This allegedly involves a lot of money and Josh allegedly claiming that he has high level security clearance through CSIS. That's right. Yep. So allegedly there's connection with a person in the States by someone presenting themselves as one of Brito's aliases. And that person involves a group who wants to build a hospital in South Africa. This is so wild. And and the person in Canada says that he's inherited billions of dollars and wants to pledge this to help to build this hospital. So a whole bunch of people invest a whole bunch of money because it looks like this hospital is going to be built because this rich guy is saying he wants to fund it. But we cannot prove that this is Josh Brito who did this, but the person is using one of Josh Brito's known aliases and also uh, a photo of Josh Brito in the CSIS clearance. So if it's not him, somebody is impersonating him. And they're even sending notarized lawyer documents uh, to this company saying that the money is real, but all of that turns out it's not. All these people in the States lost all this money because they were they were pledged to build this hospital and took out all these massive loans. and. What would somebody get out of this? That's what nobody can understand. Um, yeah. they've, nev- they've never met in person. Mm-hmm. Well, they didn't even know his real name. People have been contacting you recently about him, too. So 
It's it's not yeah. something that out of your purview anymore. It's not mm -hmm. off your plate. There are still people contacting you about him. He's involved in different things in Calgary now. He is. Yeah, I um, I have been contacted by people who know him now, mm. um, and they know him by a different name. Mm -hmm. They do know what he's done, but I doubtful that they know the whole story. Right. Um, or the real story, I should say. He's sure. somehow sugarcoated his past to make it sound like nothing was his fault. Um, mm. Whoever he speaks to now, um, you know, if they find out about his past, they he's got some excuse, yeah. which I totally understand. I mean, he doesn't tell the truth anyways, but um, yeah. So, yes, I, I can't say too much about that specific situation but um i know where he lives in mm -hmm. calgary i yeah. know what his uh, partner is up to i know what they're involved with there because so, i've been told by people they so message he, me and tell me his his new partner is a man that's correct yes. okay so he's mm -hmm. being more honest about his sexuality at this point yeah and uh yeah he is for once mm. Although I think part of his life he probably did. Um, it, Daniel was under the impression that he was um, heterosexual. Mm -hmm. He talked about girls all the time. He had a girlfriend at the time. And he did actually have a girlfriend at the time. Right. They, she thought that he was also heter heterosexual. She didn't know until this all happened what, who he really was. Mm -hmm. But it did come out in court that he did have some friends that he would confide in about his feelings for Daniel. Daniel was not, um, was not gay. Mm -hmm. Daniel loved everybody, but he was, uh, you know, d definitely girl crazy and thought that Josh was too. And Josh knew that Daniel was like that, but he would text his friends that came out in court that, Oh, I'm hanging out with my straight friend tonight. He has no idea that I'm gay. You know, he would text them things like that. So he did have some sort of a, um, he had some friendships in Victoria that were um, with other uh, gay people, and now he is living as a gay man. Your resilience blows me away. We've met in person, and mm -hmm. we went out for a coffee here in Langley because uh, yeah. you, you've got family still here. I, I went out to Granny's farm to pick up yes, you the did, box, yeah. and uh, mm -hmm. yeah, it, you know... Um, like I say, your resilience blows me away. And I just want to know how you stay so strong as someone who's been through so much. You've lost two of your kids. Um, yeah. You're, but you're, you just seem like you've got life by the tail, you know, like we're <laughs> friends on Facebook. You went to Vegas yeah. recently and all that. Yeah, you saw, saw you, you too. Yeah. You went to the, <laughs> to the sphere and all that I kind did, of yeah. stuff. And it, you know, I'm so I'm so happy to see somebody living a life yeah. after being through what you're through, and uh, yeah, I think I think the secret is is that I choose to be happy. Um, you know, I really I know that seems so trite to say that, but I I just wanted my kids to grow up to be good, productive, amazing people, and they wouldn't be able to do that if I was 
moping about it all the time. Not to say that Daniel isn't the topic of conversation a lot, because he mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do talk about him a lot. We talked a lot about him at Christmas again this year. They they were very, my son came with me to all the court dates. My daughter was still in high school, so she couldn't come. But um, this was our life. And I just knew that, and I still, to this day, I know that, you know, I can't let it ruin me I can't let it because I have so much to live for I just love my children so much and they love me so much and um, they've turned out to be amazing productive human beings my daughter's a nurse my son is a very well respected member of um, the golf community in Calgary and I just know that for their sake and for mine my life can't end and Daniel would be so upset if I didn't live my life this way he cared too much about he cared so much for his brother and sister and for me that he would be so devastated if he knew we were sad all the time not to say that there isn't a lot of sad days there are lots of times when i really do break down and i have a really couple of bad days and um and sometimes the situation lives a little bit too rent free in my mind Mm -hmm. and it's all i think about sometimes but i just somehow can compartmentalize it. I have such good support system. I have absolutely the best friends out there. If it weren't for my friends, I wouldn't be talking to you today. I, they literally spoon fed me when he first wow. died. And I had a girlfriend that slept on our couch for two weeks to make sure I could get up in the morning. And, you know, and I had so much help with my kids through all the trial and through everything that we went through with my just the best friends ever. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be able to be happy if I didn't make it through. And I wanted to be. Do you have any words of comfort or suggestions maybe for anybody who might be going through something similar? Yeah. Well, I wish I could say everything. (laughs) I, I know that it seems like there is no end, but there is. And eventually there are just the good memories. Mm. And I don't like to be part of this club, a club of, of mothers who have lost children, no matter how that we've lost them. It's a, it's a silent grief and no one should ever have to bury their child. But I know that there is still hope and there's peace. There can be peace. You just have to choose it. And it's not easy, but sometimes the right thing and the hard thing are the same. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us and uh i really hope that my script does a a good job at telling daniel's story so i'm sure it will mike thank you so much for taking an interest hi her name is elsbeth elsbeth you know her as the offbeat but brilliant defense attorney from the good wife and the good fight you've been a very busy little bee buzz buzz now she's in new york with the nypd this is very different but still using her unconventional ways to find the truth. You're trying to sniff me, Miss Tazioni? <laughs> Elspeth, new series Thursdays on Global. Stream on Stack TV.